Hey there, Veg Zeners. Welcome back to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a more compassionate plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki. And this is Larissa. In this episode of the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, we are very pleased to be joined by Dr. Brooke Goldner. Dr. Goldner is a board-certified medical doctor and the author of three best-selling books, Goodbye Lupus, Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, and Green Smoothie Recipes to Kickstart Your Health and Healing. We're going to talk a little bit more about Dr. Goldner in a bit, but first, we have a new rating. Yes, we do. I'm so excited. I'm always so excited when we have new ratings. So this rating comes from CB Texas Veggie Lover. And they say, Vicki and Larissa, I love your show. And I am a member of the Peas and Carrots Facebook group. What up? I look for... <laughs> <laughs> She's always got to get that in there. I look forward to your episode every week. Very informative. Well, awesome. thank you. Thank you. you know, thank you. It seems like we've gotten a string of folks from Texas. That is awesome. Howdy, y'all. And I just I, I just realized something. What's that? The CB Texas Veggie Lover. I think that was the title of the review. The actual reviewer's um, ID is C-Bomb Mom. Oh, gotcha. See, okay. mom. Okay. I was looking at that. I was like, wait still, a minute. Did I miss something? What did I miss? Still still Texas in there. That's yeah. right. So I'm probably still Texas. All right. Uh, so today's episode is being sponsored by our Golden Apple Roundtable. What is up, Golden Apple Roundtable? If you're not familiar with this group, these are the members of our community who sponsor us via Patreon. Patreon.com is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get support from their fans, followers, and community members. Many people don't realize that there are costs involved in putting together a podcast, and we've done this now for going on seven years before you know it. Wow, is that right? Yeah. God, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, because we started in 2013. 2013 2020 that's will be right. seven years. Wow. And we've got to we've got to pay for uh, media hosting, website hosting, equipment, etc. So that does add up. Monetary support we receive through our community members through Patreon goes directly back into the cost of producing the podcast and keeping it going free to our listeners listeners on a weekly basis. If you're interested in supporting us, please head out to patreon.com forward slash vegetarian zen and you will see a video there from Larissa and me. And in that video, we discuss the mission of Veg Zen. And on the right hand side, I think it's on the right, it's on one of the sides. I, they've been moving some things around there. But on one of the sides of the page, you're going to see various support levels, anywhere from a dollar to $50 a month and some levels in between. And you can also customize your own giving. So if you wanted to give at a level that we didn't have listed there, you can manually type that in. Certain levels will qualify you for some vegetarians and swag, such as a car magnet, or is it merch that the kids are saying these days? Is it merch I or swag appropriate? Merch. Swag <laughs> okay. just bothers me. And right. I think I told some you merch. that not too long some ago and merch. you didn't know. You had no idea. You're like, really? I'm like, yeah, that really bugs me. <laughs> well, we've got car magnets, recyclable grocery bags, stickers, and t-shirts. So depending on the level that you, you come in at, you may be eligible to receive one or several of these. Even a dollar a month can go a very long way to help mm -hmm. keep us go getting the podcast keeping the <laughs> keeping the podcast <laughs> keeping going keeping the who the hum yeah, that 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 uh so thank you to our current and future golden apple round table members you know it seems we haven't done a roll call on that group in a while yeah, we need to do that should. next time maybe yeah. all right um and if you're unable or you're just not you're just not into the whole monthly uh, subscription kind of thing, we totally get it. We also have a one-time button located on our website that says "Buy Us a Juice," and that's where you can provide a one-time monetary contribution to help support the show. So thank you right. very very much. Well, maybe we should update that to "Buy Us a Smoothie." Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good, that. especially after this episode, that's this interview, right. which was very inspiring very inspiring <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about dr goldner before we get into this inspiring uh interview all right so aside from being the author of the three books that you mentioned she has been featured in multiple documentaries such as eating you alive whitewashed and the conspiracy against your health she's been featured on tv news and the home and family show 
as well as many radio shows and podcasts. And she's a highly sought after keynote speaker who shares the stage regularly with Drs. Ornish, Esselstyn, uh, Bernard Greger, and T. Colin Campbell, just to name a few. Yeah. And if you listen to this podcast, you know, we refer to these folks Mm -hmm. pretty frequently. Right. So she's also been featured on the front cover of Vegan Health and Fitness magazine three times, not once, not twice, three times, including the recent cover of uh, Fit Over 40. She's a regular contributor to T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies, and she is featured in the Journal of Disease Reversal, reversing lupus in herself, as well as multiple case studies in reversing end-stage lupus nephritis, which is kidney failure, with her hypernourishing nutrition protocol. Uh, She graduated from... Uh, the Temple University School of Medicine. She was chief resident at UCLA Harbor Residency, and she holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. She's the founder of veganmedicaldoctor.com, goodbyelupus.com, and creator of the Hyper Nourishing Protocol for Lupus Recovery. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and this was uh, this episode particularly was very near and dear to our hearts because Larissa was diagnosed with lupus in early 2000s somewhere in that time frame. Was, yeah, it was in the early 2000s. So we were very interested and uh, of course with a resume like that, I mean that is that is a, extremely impressive. Right. Uh, we were looking forward we were looking forward to talking to Dr. Goldner and we know you're going to really enjoy this interview. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Goldner. Welcome to the show, Dr. Goldner. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Okay, well, let's let's start off by just uh, learning a little bit about you. If you can tell us a little bit about your story. We talked a little bit before we started recording, but uh, definitely want to share some for the folks out there. So can you uh, just l- give us a little bit about your story and how you came to uh, practice the medicine that you practice? Absolutely. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, I am a board certified medical doctor uh, and, you know, I've I've published multiple books on how to reverse disease using nutrition, but I I didn't come this way through reading a lot of books or or research. I actually stumbled my way into this because I was fighting my own illness. Uh, Before I was ever a doctor, I was a patient and at 16 years old, I was diagnosed with lupus and lupus is an autoimmune disease where your immune system no longer recognizes self from non-self. So normally your immune system will attack bacteria and viruses. Well, when you have lupus, your immune system can start attacking your own organs, like your heart or your lungs or very commonly your kidneys. And in my case, I was already in stage four kidney failure by the time I was diagnosed at 16. And so, yeah, it was really, really hard. I mean, I already had the arthritis. I had the butterfly rash, which is this rash that goes across your cheeks and uh, migraines where I'd be throwing up for days. And I thought that was the worst of it until they rushed me into the kidney biopsy and told me that at the stage of kidney failure I was in and how aggressive the type of kidney failure I had, which is called membranoproliferative, say that five times fast, um, that's very aggressive. So they told me at that point I had six months before complete kidney failure if I uh, continued on the way I was or even did the standard of medications at the time. So, I mean, I'm 42 at the time I was 16. Back then, we really only had high-dose steroids as an option for autoimmune disease. Nowadays, they have a lot of different medicines they use, although the outcomes have not changed in all of this time in spite of all the new uh, medicines and the millions of dollars of research that's gone into making them. But they said that you know, at this point, steroids, you're still going to end up on dialysis or even dead if we don't do something really dramatic or aggressive, which, I mean, you imagine the, the shock of it. I thought I was having a little bit of pain here and there, maybe some headaches, and then to be told that I could actually die. Uh, it was really just, um, it threw my whole family. I mean, you know, I'm an only child and my family, my mother's an immigrant. Um, they, my, my mother's parents survived the Holocaust and uh, they were in Poland during World War II and Jewish family. So uh, they survived the war and they came to America to try to create, um, you know, to have a life where there would be freedom and and create opportunity for for their children. So my grandparents had fourth grade and sixth grade educations, but my mother and her brother were the first people to actually go to college in the family. Uh, And so here I was an only child, but, you know, I had these great aspirations and I was the first born in America. And, you know, it was just, um, and all of a sudden, you know, here I was facing my own mortality and, you know, um, I and just, so young too. I mean, that's yeah. really young to be facing. Yes. Them. yes, very much so. And I think I, 
at 16 really could not grasp that fully. Um, but my family was just, just my, my mom never showed me uh, any kind of pain in, in, to my face. She was really tough. Like you are going to finish high school. You're going to college. We just need to plan better. We're just going to figure out how to make this work. Um, but my grandmother, I mean, I saw her on her knees screaming to God to take her and spare my life. I mean, it was really, really dramatic. Um, so wow. I always felt that, you know, the, the illness that I had hurt the people who loved me more than it hurt me. And I think a lot of people out there who are listening could maybe relate to that, that, you know, when you know someone you love is suffering and you don't feel like you can do anything about it, it is just such horrible torment. And uh, what they told me was that there was a chance to save my kidneys, but I would have to do an experimental treatment, which no patient ever wants to be experimented on. Uh, but uh, they were looking at using chemotherapy, which actually they still use to this day. My, I, I helped be the experiment that helped uh, fuel other treatments, but they, uh, they use uh, cytoxin chemotherapy. And what the uh, theory was, well, when you give people with cancer chemotherapy, one of the terrible side effects is that it shuts off their immune system. And that's why a lot of people with cancer end up dying from infections because the chemotherapy shuts off their immune system and they now they die of this terrible infection and they have no ability to fight it. So they thought, what if we do that on purpose for people with lupus? What if we try to shut off the immune system? Kind of like if your computer stops working, you just power it down and turn it back on again. Right. Hoping that would work for the immune system. What if we, because you didn't have lupus for 16 years, what if we shut off the immune system and then slowly let it restart? Maybe the lupus won't be active. So, uh, so I agreed to do that. I wasn't happy about it, but I agreed to do that. Uh, nowadays, when they use cytoxin chemo, usually it's for a few treatments, maybe a couple months max. But when I was doing it, they really didn't know how much to use or for how long. So I ended up having chemotherapy for two years straight. So, oh, yeah, so 16, wow. 16 to 18 years old, I was navigating high school and, uh, and getting chemotherapy. And so it was really hard. They tried to stop the chemo after one year, but my kidneys immediately started to fail right back to the way they were. Um, and so actually after two years straight, I finally was able to come off of the chemo and um, my kidneys were stable. I was considered in remission. Now remission in autoimmune disease does not mean you are cured. Uh, it just meant that, you know, when you took my lab work, I still had lupus antibodies, the DSDNA antibodies. I still had a positive ANA for people who know about these things. Um, I still had protein in my urine, which they told me I would have forever because of the damage to my kidneys, but I was not currently dying from lupus at the time. So that's remission. You know, if I had arthritis, I would, you know, I was still on my steroids at the time and I could still take, you know, medicines for pain first for migraines or arthritis, but I was stable and that was miraculous at the time, um, for, to be able to go from that level of kidney failure and disease to be stable, uh, just on taking pills again. So, you know, that was a big triumph. And actually, because my family kept me really focused on, you know, when you have time, you read, you take control of what you can, and you don't let your illness define you. This is a, a hurdle to overcome. It's not who you are. And so I, I really did stay focused on that. And I went, okay, you know, none of us knows how long we have on this planet, but I can sure as hell make my time count. So I studied, I read all my textbooks. Like when I was home getting chemo and stuff, I just read my textbooks. And so I ended up graduating in the top 10 of my class in spite of being on chemo. And I got a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon, which was my first choice of college. And I had my last chemo the, the week before I started college. So, you know, I really was able to succeed um, really thanks to an extraordinary family. I mean, even my grandparents, you know, survived the Holocaust. They're the ones who told me since I was small that every day you wake up free, you're lucky, you know? So yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that has a huge, huge impact on you know the way we deal with um, illness like this. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I feel I get heartbroken when I you know because I'm on Instagram. I got forced into it because my clients you know are like, all right, you, you, yeah, I know you're in your 40s, but you got to come on Instagram. I'm waiting for you there. Um, but you know, I, I follow you know the hashtag lupus and all that. And I constantly see people whose Instagram feed is all pictures of their IVs and pictures of their rashes. And, and I, I, it breaks my heart because I just don't want people to focus on the illness as their identity. Because how do you let go of your identity? You don't, right? Your identity is who you are. So don't make lupus an identity. Make it as something you're going to beat, you're going to conquer, you're going to release. But it's not who you are. You know, we, I mean, back when I was young, you know, back in the old days, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, you know, so, so there was no Instagramming my chemo. Um, but my parents took the camera out for my birthday and for my graduation. 
You know, yeah. so people ask me sometimes, are there pictures of you getting chemo? Oh, no. My family would never have taken, and now you can see pictures of me with the big cheeks from the steroids and stuff. But no, we would never document that because that's not what we celebrated. Yeah. Uh, so I do, I always caution people, even when they come out to see me, I'll see these big seas of purple in the audience because purple is the color for lupus awareness. And I love that people are coming together to support each other, but don't make it your team like a sport. Like, don't make it, right. like, <laughs> we want to, we want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's really true for people with all different kinds of illnesses or even adversity. Don't say I am uh, a lupus warrior. I am a sick person or I am poor. I am uh, unlucky. You know, you have to use those words very carefully because you end up living into what you define yourself as. Right. And that's definitely true. And, you know, I am. I, I kind of grew up the opposite that you did. And I, I, did, I wasn't diagnosed with lupus until like, a, you know, uh, 2003. Uh, so I was already well into adulthood, but I grew up with Tourette syndrome and I wasn't diagnosed. I started having symptoms when I was five, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 15. But I didn't have the same dynamic, the, the family, you know, uh, dynamic that that you did, and it makes a huge difference. So I definitely, you know, I grew up kind of the opposite, but I've learned to switch my mindset to. I like to say that it's an in spite of. So you know, in spite of lupus, in spite of Tourette, it's in. Yeah. You know, I, I am who I am now in spite of that. Cool. Yeah, and kind of along that, I was going to ask you, Dr. Goldner, is that what when you graduated high school, is that what inspired you? Did you already know you were going to study medicine and and study uh, lupus and and? Yeah, that was part of what helped me focus was, okay, so one of my defense mechanisms was intellectualization of things. So you can tell I'm a psychiatrist. So so what I would do was I went, wow, it's really fascinating that my immune system could do this. I wonder how the immune system works. So I dove into the sciences. I was in AP biology and AP chemistry. And I really started, I said, maybe I can use my understanding of how these things work to one day maybe even create a cure for these things. Now, um, it's kind of ironic that I gave up on that because, uh, you know, I did genetic research at Carnegie Mellon and diseases. And uh, so for three years, and what I found out was I hate doing clinical re- or lab research. I, I'm a super social person and sitting in a lab with test tubes was just the worst. First of all, I'm clumsy and I broke a lot of test tubes. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, was, I just never know where my hands are. I'm, I'm tall and long and I just say swing my arms and then I don't know things are broken. Um, and second, I'm, I really love contact with people. And so I decided to become a physician and I thought, well, I might not be able to come up with a cure, but you know what? I'm really good at living with chronic illness. Uh, I'm really good at um, helping people overcome illness. So I think in terms of psychologically, emotionally, I'm always that person that people would come, come to when they were struggling just naturally to ask me for help or support. And I thought, well, being a doctor would be a good way to do that. So I gave up on the idea of being able to cure anything because I wasn't going to be a lab rat and thought instead I'll be a, a clinician. I love to take care of people. And I've been volunteering at hospitals since I was 14, feeding patients. And, you know, my mom always uh, had service as a big part of, of my life growing up and I loved it. So I decided to be a doctor. And originally I was going to be a rheumatologist to help people with autoimmune disease because I sure knew a lot about it. I mean, I knew how to order all of the labs at 16. <laughs> Well, I memorized what they were and what they meant, and you know. So, um, but what I found was in my first couple of years of medical school, when I was doing all my clinical rotations, what I observed in people was that it was very clear to me that the emotional state of the patient had a greater factor in their ability to recover and get discharged from a hospital than their diagnosis did. And I've always been very observant of people and, and connecting with them. And so I would see someone with an infection who was in the hospital for weeks, but she was alone, had no visitors, was always crying whenever we saw her versus someone surrounded by family with cancer who shouldn't have been able to leave the hospital, but did. And I thought, wow, you know, the way people feel emotionally has an extraordinary impact on their ability to function, even with diagnoses, severe diagnoses. And it made me think back to my own life and go, well, you know, even though I have had serious illness at 16, here I am uh, in medical school and able to do all these things, you know, where I could be disabled already. I'm here and I'm functioning. And by the way, I got sick in medical school. I ended up creating new antibodies. I had mini strokes. So it wasn't like uh, the lupus uh, went away when I went to medical school and stopped getting good night's sleep and, and got lots of stress and all that stuff. But I still was able to always rally and come back and go, okay, well, now I just take shots every day to make sure that I don't get blood clots and I'm going to keep going because, you know, I have stuff to do and I, and I have purpose to live. And so I thought, wow, you know, if I could impart that 
to people, that might give them a greater chance of having a good life than even being really good at treating lupus or any other disease. And so I decided to go into psychiatry because I thought if I could teach people to be as good at happy as I am, then I can have them live great, positive, purposeful lives in spite of whatever diagnosis they have. And so that's why I ended up going into psychiatry originally, was for that reason. And one of the things that I loved and I was an expert in was uh, trauma, helping people overcome really serious traumas. I spent years working, I was a medical director at a program in Long Beach, California, working with traumatized 18 to 25-year-olds that were coming out of juvenile justice, like gangs and foster care and homelessness. And I absolutely adored that work and helping them find purpose. That's what we would do is we'd help them find jobs and get their GEDs and become a part of the society rather than continue to live outside of society, you know. Um, and so I absolutely loved that work and I thought I'd found my home there. Um, but then I accidentally uh, healed from lupus and realized I had a whole nother path happen. So <laughs> I should probably tell you about that part. But that's, that's kind of how, so my, my life path is, you know, so part of it was me going, yes, I love science. I'm going, you know, lupus kind of spurred me forward to go into sciences and, and being a doctor. But the path I took in becoming what I am now was very much led by my heart. I've always just kind of followed what felt right. And my heart actually led me to my own cure, which was meeting my husband, Thomas Tadlock, because when I met him, I was in medical school. I'd already had the mini strokes. I was, so I was taking, you know, injections every day to make sure I didn't have a, a serious stroke again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get through all this other stuff. But in the meantime, I feel so blessed and lucky because one, lupus hadn't killed me yet. So it got close, you know, and when the blood clots hit and I passed out in the clinic, I thought, you know, that was in danger, but I made it. Um, and two, I was at 28 years old, you know, I, I was uh, accepted in my first choice of residency at UCLA Harbor in California. Um, I was living my dream and my purpose. And I thought, how many people reach my age and never actually reach their dream? So I felt so lucky and happy. I attracted this amazing person who felt that way about his life. And, you know, um, when we met, it was this instant chemistry that we just both knew that's it. I mean, I... I mean, we just knew within the first month that this was it forever. And I had to break it to him when he was talking about marriage uh, that, you know, I have this disease. I can't have children or it'll kill me between a stroke or kidney failure. I can't have children. Um, I'm not going to live a long life. I'll probably be disabled within the next 20 years. Um, and you're going to have to take care of me when I become disabled before I die too young. So it's kind of the least romantic response to a marriage proposal that you could imagine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's still, he's there now and he's, he's the mister, right? So <laughs> yeah, he said that he'd rather have a short life with me than a lifetime. With oh, anyone. that well, is that's, so awesome. That's a keeper. Yeah, that is definitely a keeper. He just wanted to give me all the joy and happiness that he could for however long he could. And, yeah. uh, and it's because I followed my heart and, and decided to, you know, I, I mean, once he said that, I was like, yeah, let's get married. I'm, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Well, now, now I'm officially in love with your husband too. So <laughs> yes, most people are, most people are. <laughs> Dr. Goldner, we, we definitely want to talk about your healing because uh, that is is uh, something that's also been the focus of uh, a couple of books we're going to talk about here in a second that, yeah. that you've written. Uh, but I wanted to back up just a little bit and talk about some of the, you, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, what lupus was. What are some of the signs or the symptoms of lupus, particularly in women? Well, lupus can come in very uh, sly and insidious way. I mean, a lot of times people have no idea it's what it is. And, and most folks that I see tell me they've been sick for years, sometimes five to 10 years before their doctor even diagnoses it, because it's so hard to necessarily see it coming. Now, when I was diagnosed, I already had all the classic symptoms. So the classic symptoms are joint pain, um, fatigue, um, you can have uh, rash on your face, like that lupus rash is this rash that goes across your cheeks and your nose. So it's called a butterfly rash because it kind of looks like the shape of the butterfly. So if you have those symptoms, they can usually diagnose you pretty quickly. But for many people, it starts with um, brain fog, where you just have trouble focusing, um, severe fatigue, feeling like you're kind of walking underwater trying to get through your day, um, kind of aches and pains or fevers that don't seem to have any uh, any 
cause to them. So it can be really slow and subtle. Some folks I see actually start with food allergies, new allergies, because a dysfunctional immune system doesn't just cause autoimmune disease, but it can also cause new food allergies. So why would you suddenly become allergic to fruit that you were never allergic to your whole life? That's not genetic. That's being caused by the massive amounts of inflammation you have triggering your disease. So, and, and, and I don't know about you, but um, one of the, the main symptoms, how I know that I'm you know, heading into a lupus flare is um, my skin hurts. It just hurts. It hurts to touch. It hurt. I don't want to wear clothes. I don't want to do anything like that because just to touch my skin is like so painful. So if your wife sees you walking around naked, she knows. There you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a sign that you want intimacy. It's, uh, it's like my skin hurts. Don't touch me. <laughs> That's very confusing, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> is it like, come on, or is she sick? I don't know. <laughs> I have to, so I never had that symptom specifically. I specifically would have pain in my joints that would travel mm-hmm. up and down my body. So yes. It's very different how it shows up in people. Uh, but the cause is the same. And what's cool about it is, you know, I have helped people. People from all over the world with lupus, Sjogren's, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, mixed connective tissue diseases, uh, enigma diseases where they don't even know what they have, but it's something autoimmune. And it doesn't matter. It's the same program and the same way of eating that actually reverses it. And so just so your audience understand, it actually wasn't any of my genetic research or all of my 12 years of study and training that actually reversed my disease. It was an accident because I changed my diet because I was trying to get fit for my wedding. So that's why I say, wow, healed me. Wow. (laughs) My husband at the time, so he's a celebrity trainer. And if you guys are on the website, you can see he's hot. He's gorgeous. He's, (laughs) you know, um, I deserve all of that, by the way. So he, uh, so he, he, um, so he was working with MTV, helping people get a six pack in three weeks, that kind of stuff. And I went, well, if we're getting married, I want to have a six pack. I want to look like that. And so what he did, he actually went to Carnegie Mellon as well. And he, he has figured out that, you know, cells work very much like computers. And when we enter the right information through the right nutrition, you can change someone's metabolism. And so he has a best-selling book called Miracle Metabolism, where he shows people how when you eat the right way, you can actually create a metabolism that gives you results the way you want it to. So when you run, you lose fat. When you lift weights, you gain muscle, just like we all should. It shouldn't be that some workouts work for some people and not others, or some diets work and some don't. All of them should work for this. Every, you know, every person should be able to get the same result. And so he was really into that. And when he met me, I loved that because I didn't want to starve myself for my wedding. I had some weight to lose. Um, I was about a size 11 at the time, which, you know, it's when for me, um, you know, eating hospital food is a great way to stay sick and overweight if you want to, you know, (laughs) it's the worst food on the planet. And I was vegetarian since I was 12. And so I was vegetarian far before I became diagnosed with lupus. And a lot of people think of vegetarian diets as healthy. But, you know, if you're a cheese and egg and processed fooditarian like I was, it's actually not. I mean, there are some vegetarian diets that are worse than some of the meat eater diets I've seen because people eat so much dairy or processed foods and things. So I was eating, you know, cheese and eggs every day, although I still liked vegetables and things. And my husband said, fine, I can put you on a program, but uh, you've got to give up all the saturated fat. So you can't eat all these cheese and eggs every day if you want to lose the weight that you're talking about. So I said, okay. And then um, he at the time was recommending a very high vegetable, omega-3, water, all that stuff diet. But at the time, this is now 14 years ago, he was also telling people to eat like free range meat. He was like what paleo became. He was one of the first people to be teaching that kind of program. Um, But I'd been vegetarian since I was 12 because I loved animals and I didn't want to eat animals. So he had, I refused to do the meat aspect. So I accidentally went from vegetarian to vegan or really a a high raw vegan um, just accidentally. It wasn't, you know, I didn't intellectually decided to do that. It was, I had to get rid of all the meat and dairy and the processed foods. And, and I started eating tons of raw vegetables and omega-3 fatty acids and tons of water. And what I found was one, it was really easy to lose weight. I mean, in four months, I went from a size 11 to a size three, I was ripped. Um, but in a matter of weeks, I was so full of energy. I was an intern at the time working 30 hour shifts And I could go to the gym after my shift because I had so much energy. Like, that's not normal if you don't have lupus. Right. (laughs) If you have lupus, that is really wacky. Um, I had tons of energy. I had no more arthritis. I had no more migraines. 
I felt so good. So what happened was I figured I'm just going to keep doing this because I've never felt this good before, but I didn't really think it was going to make a change, you know, in my lupus or anything like that. I mean, I had just graduated medical school, so I knew diet had nothing to do with health, right? Because they would have taught us that, right? So <laughs> ironic, <laughs> laughter, ironic laughter here. Yeah. So I, um, so I got my, um, but I got my labs drawn right before we went to my wedding. So it was about three and a half months after I changed my diet. I got my labs drawn by new doctors in California because I was trained in, in and I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And all the labs were negative for lupus, which was really bizarre because wow. I had lupus for 12 years. So it wasn't like it was a new diagnosis. Um, and they were negative and they actually thought it was a lab error. So I came back from my wedding and got the labs again and they were negative again, ANA negative, DSDNA negative, no protein in my urine, normal That's kidneys. Crazy. Um, and all the blood clot antibodies were gone by the second round too. So understand I had had lupus for 12 years with mini strokes and kidney failure now had perfectly normal labs that indicated no lupus at all, no deficits at all. Now this October will be 14 years that I've had those same negative results and no lupus and perfectly healthy life. I've had two children um, that are both healthy, beautiful boys. And here I am in my forties healthier than I ever was as a teenager, instead of sitting here in a wheelchair or disabled right now or having died of a stroke. So what, I, what happened to me as an intern really changed the entire course of my life and my career. I mean, it took me four years to even realize that this really happened because in my brain, I was programmed by Western medicine that lupus is incurable. So even if my labs are negative, I still have it. I just can't see it. I mean, it's like you get crazy. You just, well, if it's incurable, it must still be there, right? Um, and <laughs> it wasn't until I had my first son and still did not have lupus and was because that's very dangerous to people with lupus. Um, when, when that happened and I was still healthy, that's when my husband and I finally realized that I was no longer sick and that my body had changed. And so we spent the next year after that really researching how nutrition can affect cellular function, immune function, uh, and recovery and, and healing. And we realized that he'd accidentally created the most anti-inflammatory nutrition humanly possible. And so we spent years testing it. And now it's been about a decade that I've been running people through these programs and results are typical. People who do the program, who eat the way I teach them to, they eliminate their diseases and they get their health back, even if they've been sick for decades. And it's the most extraordinary, beautiful gift that's come out of all the illness and struggle that I had early on. I just get to continuously give that back to the, that gift of health back to other people. That's, That's incredible. And I know, so let's, let's get into that. Uh, so you have a couple of books out. You want to talk a little bit about those. And I know in one of your books, you have outlined, uh, I think it's six easy steps to healing with supermarket foods, which I, I really love that because I think sometimes one of the obstacles to people uh, in eating better or, or trying to change their diet is that it seems so unattainable. Like, oh, I'm going to have to do, I'm have problems just planning my day-to-day -day meals and I don't want to have to, it's going to take too much time to. Yeah. To, and you're going to have to shop at special stores yeah. and you're going to have to order stuff on Amazon. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I love the six easy steps with supermarket food. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about your books and then maybe about these six steps? Absolutely. Yeah. So the first book that um, really got people's attention was my book, Goodbye Lupus. And I wrote that back in 2015, really because um, people I kept running into kept telling me, man, I wish you had a book because I would give it to this person or that person. Um, people really need to hear your story. And my husband's been on me forever that you should really share your story. So, um, so I wrote that book and Goodbye Lupus, the first half of it is my story, which I just told you a condensed version of. And then the six easy steps to uh, healing with supermarket foods or disease reversal with supermarket foods, just to help people understand one, yes, you don't need to buy some special herb that's grown in a Brazilian rainforest somewhere. You can, you know, like, it's not like, uh, you know, you can go to your supermarket and get your health back. And two, I like to have things very simple and stepwise. So there are some people who can dive in and change their entire diet, all six steps at once. And other folks who like to take it one step at a time. And then that allows people to feel successful that I am making positive changes that are getting me closer to the health I want without feeling overwhelmed and like a failure. Um, I think it's really important that that's available. So um, and I actually teach Goodbye Lupus online for free uh, every couple months. Uh, I teach the entire book, all the six steps, entirely for free online 
to make sure that anybody can learn what they need to to get their health back because I think good health should be a right and there's so much bad information out there. And if I'm teaching for free, they know like Big Kale is not paying for me to give my talks. Like I'm not being backed by any uh, anyone. And I spend about 12 hours total online for free teaching and answering people's questions late into the night. Um, I just finished a round of that. So um, I'm you know recuperating from that and then I'll probably do it again in September. Um, but it, for people who are looking for it now, it's in the, it's in the book and I'll, I'll go into it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that was the first thing I did. And what's cool is that people have read that book is, you know, it went bestseller as soon as I put it up for pre-order and nobody knew who I was back then, which really stunned me that that's how many people were looking for help with lupus, that they were willing to pre-order a book from some unknown doctor just to have that hope that it could help them. And you can see the reviews online. I mean, so many people from all over the world have just followed the six steps in the book and they are lupus free or other autoimmune disease completely free of it and living their lives again. So that has been an enormous source of joy for me. Um, And then my most recent book, I also have a green smoothie recipe book that's been around for a while, but my most recent book was just released this week. It just just, uh, was published uh, July 31st. Um, and that's Goodbye Autoimmune Disease. And that book is an accumulation of all the experience I've had over the past decade of doing disease reversal with people. So what I found over the years was there are some people that I could just say, here are the six steps. They, they see me for an appointment. We spend 75 minutes together because I don't see people for less time than that. 75 minutes, I talk to them. I create a personalized plan for them. Eat this, don't eat that. And then they don't do it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, that would be so, me. Yeah, <laughs> I would be your worst, worst client, your worst uh, patient. I am the best Jedi you've ever met. So you will. Right? <laughs> but here's the thing. So, and then, or people read the book and they put it on their shelf. So it becomes shelf help instead of self help, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not doing anything for them. So, so what I realized was, you know, people ask me all the time, do you miss psychiatry? I never left psychiatry because mm-hmm. when you talk to people about changing the way they eat, That is an emotional, psychological journey. It's not like, oh, eat kale instead of chips. Perfect. Thanks for letting me know, (laughs) Dal. Because the way we eat revolves around our traditions, our addictions, um, our emotional, the way we comfort ourselves. So there's all these different things that are involved. And if you really, truly want to change the way you eat, you've got to change the way you think and the way you handle things emotionally for yourself, all those other habits, or that will never happen because you'll keep falling back on those foods because you're looking for that comfort or whatever it is. So this book, uh, the majority of it, while I do go into, I review the six steps, uh, you know, briefly because it's all goodbye lupus and I go into how to use smoothies to get all the healing foods. The majority of the book are all the different emotional issues that I've helped people through over the years and how to do that on your own. So uh, self-sabotage, being motivated, um, dealing with negative thinking and, and all of the different things that people need to deal with in order to actually transition. Uh, and I've actually, uh, I don't see any reviews up yet, but people have been tagging me online saying that they're crying reading this book that what they were missing because they were feeling like such a failure that they weren't just following what they were supposed to do and now they're understanding that they need to fix some emotional wounds first in order to be able to change their eating and then there's dozens of case studies in the end to show people that this does work not just for lupus but rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's and mixed connective tissue disease multiple sclerosis and also non-autoimmune diseases like heart disease and diabetes and fatty liver disease so I find that stories are what give people uh, really a sense of hope, you know, to say, hey, okay, first, my story usually inspires people, but maybe I could be a mutant. But after you read story after story of all these other people, you go, okay, no, this is a real thing. This is actually what, what, what works for people. So that's really what that book is. And it's really my heart's work. I've been in the world of writing, giving that writing a book is like more difficult than delivering a baby for me. Like, it's <laughs> like it sounds like a good idea when you start it, and then it's really. <laughs> oh yeah, we just did that. We just released our first ebook, and yes, we totally get that. Oh my god, it's such. Yeah, by the end, it's like you think you're done. It's kind of like moving. You think you're done packing, and then you open a closet, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So it really. I'm I'm on such a high right now because it's out there in the world. It's delivered. The baby has been delivered, and now I just it, it thrives. Um. So uh. So that that just happened. But yeah. The um. 
the six steps that I teach, and like I said, I teach them in depth online. So um, people who, you know, if you go to smoothieshred.com or goodbyelupus.com, I'll always announce it when I'm doing free classes or people follow me on Instagram or um, Facebook, Goodbye Lupus. I always, I, I, I remind people every day for like weeks leading up to the classes because people message me every day, ask me questions. I'm like, just come to the classes, come to the classes. <laughs> so, um, so I teach them uh, and I answer all the Q&As. For, the Q&As are like twice as long as the classes. <laughs> <laughs> but in detail, but if you want a summary for your listeners, really, um, the first three steps are all about not getting sicker, right? So if you want to get healthier, stop getting sicker. That, you know, is common sense, right? So um, the things that make people sicker um, are eating animal products, meat and dairy. Uh, dairy actually find to be way more inflammatory than meat, although they're both really, really yes. toxic to people. Um, and then... Um, oils. So when you're looking at, you know, most processed foods are full of oils, you know, soybean oil, canola oil, uh, all those different kinds of oils actively promote inflammation in the body. They, they cause your inflammatory immune system to go into overdrive. So uh, that's going to be one thing. Olive oil is not inflammatory, although it's not good for your heart. Um, but that's one that people can sometimes, you know, just use a spray of and not get the inflammatory pathway drive uh, that you get from other oils. And then, um, uh, da, 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 and processed foods. Processed foods create an immediate inflammatory response in the body. So for most people in America, that's their entire diet. Yeah. <laughs> Meat, cheese, yeah. processed chips, fries with oil, all that stuff. You know, because in America, the most commonly eaten vegetable is ketchup, right? So mm-hmm. we're really followed by fries. So we're really in a state where most people are overweight and completely malnourished because they're only eating foods that make them sick and then they're not eating foods that get them well. So the, fo- so the second three steps are foods you need to actually repair your body and restore health. So one is going to be, um, how do you get rid of the inflammation? You need your anti-inflammatory immune system to kick in. And the primary ingredient for that is omega-3 fatty acids, which most people don't eat any of. Um, so if you're eating tons of inflammatory foods and no omega-3s, you're going to be unable to get rid of inflammation. So I have people eat flax seeds and chia seeds or cold-pressed flax oil and uh, start them off pretty high. Like uh, people working with me personally, I'll start them off at like a half cup a day of those seeds, like ground up into their smoothies or things, uh, not pre-ground, but ground to order to try to get their mega threes up really quickly to get the inflammation gone. Um, and then the uh, nutrients that you need to reverse your disease, you need high amounts of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. And so I use the most nutrient dense vegetables in their raw form in order to nourish people, or I call it hyper nourish people because I nourish people at super high levels. Uh, so kale, um, chard, broccoli, spinach. So really dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables um, really have the most punch. And so I have people really focus on getting the majority of their foods from that. And then hydration. You can't actually reverse inflammation without water. And most people are severely dehydrated. So when I'm talking about water, people on my rapid recovery programs, um, which are four to six weeks where you work with me every day, can you imagine I breathe down your your neck every <laughs> single day? Um, I get them at 96 ounces minimum of water a day. So, um, so when you think about it, I mean, those, that's an intense amount of, of uh, food for most people, but I figured out a way, my husband and I together, uh, to, get, to help people get all the healing foods in through a straw, and we call it the smoothie solution, where literally you can take a, I like the Vitamix blender because it's super high powered. They don't pay me to say that, but they should. Um, but they, So I like a high powered blender. You put like eight cups of packed kale in there or other leafy green, maybe mixed greens if you're not ready for the bitterness of kale. Put a half cup of flax or chia seeds in there. And then the rest of the way, which is like 25% of the blender still left, you fill that up with your favorite fruits, you know, super ripe bananas, frozen fruits, stuff like that. Then you can put like 40 ounces of water in there and blend it. Now you've got almost half your water done for the day. You've got all your omega threes and all your raw greens accounted for. So now if you eat other stuff, at least, you know, you got your medicine, right? You've got, at least you have the ability to fight the inflammation. So that's been one of the most instrumental and powerful tools, tools that we have that has worked really well. Like sometimes people have questions like, Oh, I heard smoothies aren't good because you need to chew. Well, they reverse disease really effectively. So I would say they're good. So um, they work really well and people do it. There's so many people who would never, eat eight cups of kale in salad form they would look at me like I was insane but put a straw in it make it taste like banana and mango they'll do it so it works really well and so that and people can start wherever they want to if you're still eating meat or dairy or processed foods 
but you're willing to add the smoothie, it's a great place to start because as you start to nourish yourself and feel better, you'll actually crave the bad stuff less. And for a lot of people, it works better to give them something extra rather than take something away, at least emotionally and psychologically. Let me let me ask you a question. And uh, anybody who knows me from either listening to the podcast or being married to me or whatever um, will know probably what I'm going to ask. What about what, what if you've got issues with texture and um, uh, she's very picky. Taste. Won't eat yeah, a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm very very picky, and I've got issues with. I've always, all my life, have had issues with texture of things um, and smells. And so, like uh, when Vicky used to eat tuna, um, I always told her, I said, if you know, if I ever, if you ever ask me to make tuna and I say no, that I don't love you anymore because tuna <laughs> was so hard for me because of the smell. And I, there's no way I can eat it because of the smell. But um, so smoothies are kind of the same way. Um, I can't do banana. Um, I'm allergic to kale. And um, so how do, what would someone with, with issues like that, how would you approach that? No, it really depends. I mean, this is why I do appointments because there's some people who will read the book and go, still don't know how to do this, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, then you're just going to have to come and live with us for like six months. Okay? You know, I get that invitation a lot. Um, but really, or people often to move in as well. Um, but, you know, so really what you do. So first of all, the most important thing uh, is starting with the mental game. So um, the hardest part about doing this is the decision to do it. Because right. as long as you're coming up with objections, there's a part of you that's fighting the commitment, right? So what I found is, you seem like a really intelligent person, right? So when you are really intelligent, you're really good at problem solving. Once you decide you're going forward, all of a sudden your brilliance kicks in and you find all these ways to make it happen. But as long as there's a part of you that's not wanting to, mm -hmm. then there's really then your brilliance kicks in on finding objections. So I usually start there with, okay, um, what part of you is not fully on board? Is it, you know, that you're really addicted to this snacks and stuff that right. you give up on? Or what is it that's holding you back? Because I find every person becomes really brilliant at problem solving once they've actually decided, you know what, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm gonna find a way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first part, is making sure that mentally you're fully committed to making this work for yourself. Then if you are 100%, I'm committed, I'm gonna be eating raw foods all day, starting tomorrow, and you really are having that issue of like, ooh, I didn't like that smoothie. Well, then you've got a lot of options there. So I like to start there because realize most of the time the objection is not actually the objection. It's the mindset that comes before it, right? Right. So now, if that really is the only issue, like you're ready to become a raw vegan, <laughs> you just <laughs> know what to eat. Okay, then I would work with you on figuring that out. So number one, if you don't like smoothies, you don't have to eat smoothies. You can eat big salads all day. You can get a giant vegetable platter of like broccoli and cauliflower and peppers and carrots and a big bowl of guacamole and just finish <laughs> that platter by the end of the day. I don't care, right? It doesn't matter as long as those veggies get in. So, you know, the broccoli and other and cauliflower and other cruciferous vegetables, they're just as powerful as the kale. Uh, it's just that those usually people like to sit and chew and not blend. So when I got healthy, I didn't even know about smoothies. So that's what I did. I literally would buy guacamole because I was an intern. I wasn't going to be making it. And I would just take bags of veggies and chomp it all day. I mean, my jaws were so strong. I could have bitten through a car. <laughs> right. But that's, but that's what I did. And then I got a gallon jug of water with a, with a strap on it. And I wore it over my back and I went up and down the stairs at the hospital doing rounds to get my exercise and drink my water. Right. Cause it was strapped to my back and it was heavy. So I was very excited to finish it. Right. So I was motivated and there was nothing that would have stopped me, right? So part of it is like, okay, so how am I going to make it work? So you can totally chew instead of doing smoothies. Um, if it's that you don't mind a smoothie, but you like it more watery, great. You know, maybe you put, uh, maybe you make smaller batches with let maybe a quarter cup of the flax instead of a half cup because that makes it thicker. And then find other fruits that you like. Maybe you're going to prefer pear and mango or a papaya or, you know, apples or other things. Grapes are great in smoothies. So there's so many options out there once you're committed to trying to find something. So I usually recommend if you're really picky, don't make the full blender yet. Make like quarter blenders and try different flavors until you come across a flavor you like. That's why, you know, I have my green smoothie book. It's actually like a booklet. It's got 28 recipes that I found over the years that my patients and clients liked because I would get that objection of, I tried a smoothie, it tasted like, like vomit, I can't. <laughs> 
And I'm like, okay. So, so they were begging me, just give me some, give me a handful of recipes. Like I just yeah. want, so I, that's why I released that just to show people, Hey, you can do this. And also on smoothieshred.com, we have free recipes um, that my husband put up and they're just frozen fruit power greens, which are just mixed greens from Costco, or whatever. And, uh, and a handful of flax or chia. And my husband put those out there to show people can take five minutes. You don't have to cut up per fruit. You just take a bag of greens, stuff it in there, handful of flax or chia, frozen fruit, water blend, right? So those are really easy. And we have that out there. So, you know, you just have to figure it out. There are some folks, most folks love the smoothies because it's so easy. You know, it's, they don't have to think about it. They're like, if I finish that blender by the end of the day, I have meat plan. Great. It's perfect. I'm, I'm, I met the plan. I'm done. But other folks, they just don't like the texture of smoothies um, or they don't like the taste of it. So they just eat the food. They eat big salads all day long or they eat vegetable platters. Um, like I said, your creativity kicks in once you're really focused on finding a way. Do any of those work for you or are you, you still... Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not going to take up any more time on, on uh, the podcast, but I, I know I can hear Vicky thinking in the other room um, as she's listening to you thinking, oh my God, she doesn't even like, she doesn't like the texture of vegetables. She doesn't like. Well, okay. So let me, let me say what I think though. I, and first of all, I love that approach because I think, I think it's great that you approach the psychology of it as well, because I completely agree. I know it's, and knowing Larissa as well, I know when she sets her mind to do something, it's done. I mean, I, I don't, she, she is like the tactical person in our outfit. I can she feel that. It done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's I'm more of the strategic and she's more of the tactical. So, um, so, so I know that's done. I think what it is is she's very impatient. So like what you said was she'll try something and if I make a smoothie, she'll say, oh, I don't like that. And then she'll just say, I don't like green smoothies or not try to tweak it. So I think it's just about being a little more patient with certain, like just trying different approaches because uh, I, I know that when she's determined to do something, she does it. Yeah, well, you know, I have people in my rapid recovery group. So I have this online group where I help 30 people at a time reverse their illnesses. And there's a whole lot of people in there who don't like vegetables. And now they're eating only raw vegetables. So it, what's interesting is in the beginning, the willpower has to supersede the taste buds because they're not enjoying their food. So actually what I do in the beginning is I make sure that the majority of what they're doing besides making sure they eat right is focusing on self-care and exercise. Because if you can get your happiness from activities and relationships, you don't need your happiness to come from your food. You can eat stuff that doesn't taste that good to you, but still love your life because you're get you're, you're meditating, you're doing yoga, you're, uh, you're making love, you're having, you're going to museums, you're listening to music, you're getting exercise. And so you have so much happiness filling you up that it's all right if your food's not that good, right? But people who don't have good self-care, they rely on their food for their happiness. And then if their food doesn't taste good, now they're miserable. So in the early uh, weeks of the group, I make self-care the focus because they're going to go through detox where they feel even worse before they get better, most of them. Um, and they, a lot of, the, and I've ripped away their comfort. So they need to learn how to take care of themselves usually for the first time in their lives. So that's going to be an important focus early on. And then it is like the mindset has to be most important. That's why I said, first you have to commit because you go, okay, I'm going to find a way. And what's interesting is at the end of six weeks, many of the people who hated vegetables to start with crave them because their taste buds changed. And all of a sudden they want smoothies, they want salads when they never ever in their life have before. So some of it is just pushing through it for at least four weeks until your taste buds start to change. And then all of a sudden you start to like it. You're not, you, someone like you might not start to like it first. You know, sometimes people, hold to that. <laughs> it's like wishing that you enjoy exercising before yeah. you start exercising. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. You know, I, the other psychological part of that I would imagine is just knowing that it makes you feel better. So your body starts feeling better. So then your body starts making, not just your taste buds, but I would imagine your body just like with exercise. Cause I love to exercise and Larissa hates it, but I don't associate, like going to the gym being fun necessarily I associate the good feeling I have when I get out of the gym 100%. the energy I get so my body craves it like if I don't go for several days I feel it because my body is actually craving moving yeah yeah absolutely and what happens is I, I exercise is a really great example because a lot of folks will tell me oh um you know I, I I don't feel like exercising and I'm like yeah I know you won't feel like it until you make it a habit it's, it doesn't work the other way you know so in the beginning, you exercise even though you don't feel like it. But then after a couple of weeks, something changes hormonally and physiologically inside of you where you suddenly start to crave it. So yes. it's the same way with the foods that you don't crave it first. Like nobody's saying, uh, 
you know what? I don't really want a cheeseburger. I'd rather have a salad. Like that, not taste bud wise. They decide that in their brain, you know what? I don't want to eat the cheeseburger. I want to eat the salad because I love myself and I want to live a long, healthy life. And it's just not worth getting high anymore instead of doing what's right for myself. Once they decide that in their brain, then eventually the physiology catches on where you start to crave those things that are helping you rather than the addictions that were fueling you before. Yeah, that's, that is, that is so true. I mean, everything that you're saying is like so spot on. It's like, you're in my head, get out of my head. No, don't get out of my head. You know, it's that <laughs> kind of thing. People that when they start, they tell me that they start hearing my voice when they're shopping. I'm like, good. Yeah. When you hear my voice, you're ready. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, everything that you're saying, and I hope that, you know, our listeners, our community, I hope that this is kind of hitting them the way it's hitting me. Um, because, and, you know, v- Vicky knows this too. And, and most of our community, knows this too because you know I'm very open with with all the stuff that the issues that I deal with um physically mentally whatever but I um I'm also a sugar addicted diabetic so there's that and I know that it's psychological I mean that's the whole thing is I know exactly and it's just it's getting over that that's the hardest thing so like I know everything you're saying I know is like a hundred percent spot on correct but the doing it is is the part that I get stuck with and that, you know, other people get stuck with because like you said, it's so tied to emotional issues, mental issues and all that stuff. So I focus so much that like in, in goodbye autoimmune disease, there's a chapter just about cravings and how to overcome cravings. And Mm -hmm. that's why I created my rapid recovery programs. It's not that I have issues with codependency where I just like, no, I won't see you for one appointment. I have to see you every day. I just realized that for most folks, they needed me to hold their hand and still do. I mean, right now I have a new group that just started and we're in the first week and everybody's a wreck. You know, like, everybody's right. I'm bloated. I'm pooping too much. I can't poop. I'm tired. I'm bloated. And so my husband and I are just pouring love into them. Like, you got this. You can do this tomorrow. Do more water. Try this. Try that. Because yeah. we know in the beginning, they need intensive emotional support to right. actually figure out how to do this and make it work and not give up. Because what I found was, and the reason why I did write the second book is when I would talk to people for appointments and ask them, how, do, how long did you last before you quit? It was always two weeks, always two weeks. So I started looking into what's happening at the two week mark. Well, because I do these programs with people, I know exactly what happens at two weeks. Two weeks is when cravings intensify. You know, food is the most addictive and destructive drug on the planet right now. I know more people dying of food related diseases every day than cocaine or heroin or meth, right? Yeah, and that scares me that that will be me. Right, no, it won't, right? Because here's the thing, right? So at two weeks, that is when the food cravings intensify because the addictions are trying their last attempt to get you to cut this out. So, you know, just like an alcoholic or a drug addict will go into withdrawal and they'll, they'll go through a desperation phase where they really feel like they need their drug. But if they get past that, usually through rehab or intensive outpatient, then the cravings become manageable. And it's the same thing with the food cravings that for some reason, the two to three week point is when the cravings intensify. And if you don't have the right emotional support or at least awareness that, whoa, these are cravings, but it's also the last my food addiction trying to win the battle and I'm not going to let it then after that the cravings actually get better but that's what I usually find is two weeks they're going I can't I can't do this anymore you know and they fall off but the other thing is and this is really important is that exercise is going to be your best friend. I know you don't like it, but (laughs) exercise creates a similar level of endorphins and dopamine as eating addictive foods do like sugar. So if you can get that endorphin rush on a regular basis and just get your body into that habit, then you won't crave the sugar as much. So it's something that my husband was really successful at working with his clients who were, you know, um, they were so addicted. He would say, you know what, don't give up sugar. And, but he would work them out so hard that tears would go down their face and they'd be praying <laughs> for death. Uh, but, you know, but he, if he, he knew if he could get them to do a super intense workout, then afterwards the, the endorphin rush would actually prevent them from wanting the sugar. And that's what would happen would be after a few weeks, they just didn't crave it anymore. So right. intensity exercise really does make a difference. And if you're not self-motivated, getting a trainer to help you with that, where, you know, at least I'm not going to, you know, you might blow off your, your wife for going to the gym, but when you have someone that you hired, who's waiting for you, usually that helps motivate people, but high intensity exercise can help you beat those cravings and get you healthy so much faster. But the other things that work for dopamine rush, so uh, exercise and uh, sex, those are the top two for dopamine release. 
Um, the second one can be with a friend or by yourself. It's the, but it, you get oxytocin with someone else. But those things work really well. And I am not ashamed to pull <laughs> to tell people like, go make love, do something besides eat sugar, you know. And they're like, okay. <laughs> but, um, but do something or being around really great friends, people who make you laugh till your face hurts, where you just feel so happy. Those are things that increase your uh, access to dopamine and all those good hormones and neurotransmitters and physiological changes that make you feel so happy that you then don't need to fill that craving through sugar. So part of it will be just knowing that it's going to intensify after a couple of weeks and then fade away and then making sure you fill your days up with all the things that will give you that increased level of dopamine and happiness to help uh, at least help you with those cravings in the meantime. All right. That's awesome. That's brilliant. This is, this is very helpful. And what I really like about this approach, like I said, it seems totally doable because I, I my only issue, I, I, first of all, I love to eat pretty much there's only a, maybe three vegetables and a couple of fruits that I don't like to eat, but I'll eat any fruit and any vegetable. Uh, my struggle is with, uh, I had an eating disorder since I was about 12 years old. So sometimes I get triggered by restriction and uh, then I went the other way and I started getting a lot of weight because of the eating disorder. And uh, so restriction can kind of trigger me. But what I like about this approach is even just adding the green smoothie or so it's more about adding certain good things that can kind of start to push out the bad things. Yeah. And I've had a lot of folks with eating disorders uh, in my group. There's some right now who have had um, overeating disorders, but also anorexia, bulimia. And what really helps them is number one, um, there is no restriction on amounts. So I actually want people full all day, as much healing food as you want. Yes, you're not eat- there is a restriction in terms of which foods I don't want you to eat, but you can eat as much as you want all day long. And actually, the more you eat of the healing foods, the faster your recovery. Um, so they have permission to feel full all day. But then the people with restrictive eating disorders like anorexia who get scared when they feel full, they also get to have the reassurance that these same foods that no matter how full you are, they're actually increasing your metabolic rate, which will help you stay fit. So mm-hmm. even though feel really full is actually helping you with having a faster metabolism. Not There's no possible way that you can get fat eating, uh, you know, tons of vegetables and flax and chia seeds and water. Like it's just not physiologically possible. So we're able to help them through all of that um, at the same time um, to know that, okay, you know, this is, I can go through and do this. And we've had people who literally for the first time in their life, were not purging. We're not um, having all of those impulses that they had before, but I do agree. Definitely. You know, I usually tell people if you have fear or anxiety about it, yeah, add what you're missing and then you'll naturally gravitate towards better choices as you continue to do that. Especially if you're not dying of a disease. If someone comes to me in stage five kidney failure, I'm like, sorry, you're doing rapid recovery. You're going to live on these smoothies and salads and water because I know I've, I've published uh, research showing how I can reverse end stage kidney failure with nutrition, but only on the entirely raw protocol. So <laughs> the, the adding what you're missing is a great approach for stepping into it, especially if you have the time and space to do it. But then with folks with organs that are failing, at yeah. that point, there's a desperation. Like I can't, I can't give some. I can't reverse a disease where people are eating, you know, candy and green smoothies. It doesn't work. I wish it did. I'd be more popular. You know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I know we're we're we've taken up a lot of your time, um, but this has been so so amazing. Um, it's been eye opening for me, and like I said, I hope it's been um, extremely helpful and, and eye opening for you know everybody else in, else in our group as well. Um, and, you know, especially since we are, Vicki and I are nine days away from losing our health insurance. So uh, I'm going to be hitting you up. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. We'll be, we'll be, I definitely want to check out these books. So again, your latest book is Goodbye Autoimmune Disease. And your previous book was Goodbye uh, Lupus. Sorry, Goodbye Lupus, How a Medical Doctor Healed Herself Naturally with Supermarket Foods. So uh, what are the what are some other ways that people can find you? I know you met, mentioned a couple of websites, including your husband's. We'll have those linked up in the show notes. But would you mind just repeating those? Absolutely. So for folks who are on social media, I'm Goodbye Lupus on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm at Vegan Medical Doc on Twitter 
and uh, goodbyelupus.com or goodbyeautoimmunedisease.com. They both go to the same spot. And um, smoothieshred.com is the website that my husband and I have together, which has access to both of our websites on it too. But that's where you can go to get uh, free smoothie recipes, free exercise videos from my husband, um, and other educational videos. It also links to our YouTube channel. Um, I'm also, uh, if you go to youtube.com slash Ooh, now I'm trying to remember Brooke Oldner, MD. Um, but if you look up Goodbye Lupus or Brooke Oldner on YouTube, I'm putting out videos every single day. Uh, I've started recording my sessions. Uh, I just have a video on me all the time. Like right now, I have a video camera on me because I figured out if people, you know, people have to say it's okay, but everybody does because they learn from each other. So I record my sessions and take highlights and put that on YouTube to help people who are struggling to stay focused and motivated. And uh, so I'm just working my butt off trying to keep people as educated and supported as humanly possible. Well, you are amazing. That's incredible. The energy in your voice is just, that says it all right there. I am so nourished. (laughs) (laughs) You can see me right now, I have a water and a smoothie right here with me. That's what keeps me going. You're you're making me go get a smoothie right now. (laughs) But thank you again. And we will have everything linked up for folks in the show notes. And we appreciate having you on the show, Dr. Goldner. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was an incredible interview. I, I, I like what you said after we got off the, <laughs> off the call with her. You said, she is like a human B12 shot. <laughs> She's the human equivalent of a B12 shot. And I think of her energy level in the interview is, I mean, that alone is a testimonial to mm-hmm. how uh, the things that she, she uh, teaches in her practice, how they can mm-hmm. impact you. Yeah, I want some of that. I know, right? I know we both got off the, the, the call and we were just, ah. And know, I went, I like, went and I got some smoothie stuff. I had a smoothie the next day. The next two mornings I had a smoothie. That's right. <laughs> so uh, anyways, we hope that you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Brooke Goldner. And, uh, you know, we have, like we said, we are going to have links to everything that we mentioned. I know we threw out a bunch of information out there. Mm-hmm. So we will have links in the show notes so that you can uh, check out that for yourself. That's right. I think that does it for our episode this week. Until next time, peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind. 